Well, I want to jump into a new sermon series called Advent, and I didn't grow up with the tradition of Advent, but it's uh, something that's very historic, and one of the things I, I like and really enjoy about uh, being a covenant church is that we uh, take time to uh, look at the church calendar and look at such things as Advent and also uh, Lent. And Advent really means, uh, in its etymology, means waiting or preparing, and that's exactly what Christmas is all about. In the 1960s, there was a psychologist named Walter Mischel, and he conducted an experiment that it has become famous called the Marshmallow Test. And there have been plenty of people since uh, Mischel did this that have done this, and you can see some funny videos on YouTube, but he was the first to do it. And what he did is that he and his researchers brought a group of four-year-olds together in a classroom, sat them down in a desk, and then put a marshmallow right in front of them and said to them, if you can wait 20 minutes, you'll get a second marshmallow. But if you can't wait 20 minutes, you won't get another one. So the researchers were taking notes. They watched the kids. And of course, some of the kids grabbed the marshmallow right away. How many of you would grab the marshmallow immediately? I would. Yeah. Listen, to thank you. Uh, and, yeah. And others waited like 10 minutes and they were, you could, uh, Michelle actually noted how much they were squirming. Some were like, it's 15 minutes, and it seemed like eternity as they're waiting. And then some, a good section of the students actually waited 20 minutes and got that second marshmallow. What's interesting, though, Michelle and his, and his researchers actually followed the, all these kids into adolescence to see what kind of character, what kind of people they would be. And they found out some, some interesting information. For those who waited... Uh, on the average, uh, were more dependable, more loyal, um, more punctual, as evaluated by teachers and professors and colleagues, and they did all this research, and it seemed like the ones who waited had this a, a much better character, so to speak. And then also, get this, on the average, those who waited 20 minutes scored 210, 210 points higher on their SATs than those who didn't wait. Now, for me, I, I, I can't wait. I, I have a hard time waiting. I, I would have grabbed that marshmallow. I probably would have eaten the marshmallow of the kids near me, too. And I think this helps explain why I bombed my SAT, by the way. <laughs> but, the, but waiting is hard. It is. And, and, and we come to Advent, and we talk about waiting like it's this, you know, sort of concept, and it's easy, but it's, it's hard. It's hard, whether it's waiting for marshmallows or standing in line, whether it's just a few minutes at Lunds and Byerly's that we're waiting in line, and it's like it's taking forever, and it's only a few minutes. And it's, it's hard. Waiting is hard. Waiting is stressful. The question that I want to begin this morning with uh, is, how are you waiting on God this Christmas? How are you waiting on God this Christmas? As we enter into Advent, this first Sunday of Advent, and enter into the story of Advent, W.H. Auden uh, writes that we're in between times. We're in between the time of the first advent, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, and also the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So in a way, we're like the devout Jewish people that were waiting for the Messiah um, and waiting for that day, and we're waiting the same way for the return, the second advent, the coming of Christ. So in a similar way, we're waiting. But also, how are you waiting on God this Christmas? Or maybe, what are you waiting on God this on, on God this Christmas. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's a relationship. And you're, you're praying, you're praying, and, and you're still waiting, and you don't have the news yet. You don't have the results yet. 
and it's excruciating. You're like, God, hurry up. Well, I want to tell you the story of a relatively obscure character in the Bible. He's not mentioned a lot in a lot of sermons. In fact, I don't think I've ever preached on his story before when it comes to Christmas, but his name is Simeon. And his story is tucked away in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 35. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 2, 25 through 35. And it's a remarkable story because what had happened during this time is that Simeon had been told, scholars believe, at a very young age that before he died, he would see the Messiah. He would actually hold the Messiah. And Simeon waits and waits and waits. And also, during this time, it's a very dark period of time in, in terms of uh, for the Jewish people because it had been 400 years since they last heard from God, the last of the prophets. It's been 400 years, so they're waiting for a sign. They're waiting for a sign from God, something. And yet nothing comes for 400 years. And Simeon is waiting as well. Day after day, if you can imagine... Simeon had no role in the temple, but I imagine every time that a, a married couple came down to the temple, because that was the Jewish custom uh, with either boys or girls, but if he heard that like, there was a, a couple with a Jewish boy who they brought to the temple for circumcision on the eighth day, and also the, the baby boy would be dedicated, I'm sure Simeon was like the first to the temple. Is it the Messiah? Is this the one? Imagine how many times he did that. Day after day, or week after week, month after month, he did it for a long time. He watched and waited. Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 35. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout, and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. By the way, at this time, scholars believe he's probably around in his 80s. He's at a very advanced age. He's been waiting a long time. The Holy Spirit was upon him and revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph, when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. By the way, very interesting that Mary's name is mentioned first. In ancient literature, that would never happen. It was always the man's name first. But Mary has a special role. She is the mother of Jesus. And that's why I believe her name is first. Mary and Joseph came to present the baby, and Simeon was there. And he took the child in his arms. I said, stop right there. I just kind of imagine this, this really weird scene, because they don't know who Simeon is. He has no role, as I mentioned in the temple. They're walking to the temple, and all of a sudden this guy jumps out, out of the bushes, and it says here he takes their baby. I'm assuming he asked first, right? Can you imagine you're, you're coming to church like this morning, and you have your baby with you, those of you who have infants, and all of a sudden some dude just jumps out of the back of a snowbank or something and just walks up to you and just takes your child from you? It's like, who are you? You probably dial 911. But they don't do that because they didn't have phones. <laughs> he took the child in his arms. And by the way, this is one of the reasons why we do dedications here. The Lord was dedicated. It was beautiful took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. Underline that phrase, all people. Not just the Jewish people, but Gentiles. As we preached in the, in the, in the series a few weeks ago on missions, all people. And this is a continuation of the prophecy of the Old Testament, that Jesus came 
as a Savior for all people. Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 9, so that none would perish. It's God's desire for all people to come to faith. All don't, but that's his desire. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them. He said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Can you imagine hearing that from some guy you don't even know? It's like, okay, thanks. I'll see you later. And what he's saying, he's actually prophesying that Mary is going to see, as we know, uh, the death, the crucifixion of Jesus, her son. And it's going to be very, very heartbreaking for her. So we look at Simeon, and what I want to talk about are three observations uh, that, I, that I see in uh, Simeon and his story. Number one is that waiting is hard, isn't it? Waiting is hard. And whether it's just a few minutes or 20 minutes, as I shared in the opening story, or in the case of Simeon, where it's his entire life, he is waiting. Waiting is hard. Now, I'm sure at times that Simeon wanted to give up. That's my opinion. It doesn't say that in the text, but I'm sure he's human. He probably wanted to give up. And also, he probably questioned God. Was God really going to come through? And that's a question that we're asking ourselves as well. Most of us are waiting for something waiting for news about a job or perhaps a relationship or perhaps uh, something in terms of your health, a diagnosis from the doctor. You're waiting to hear the news back. You're waiting for something. And it seems like it's taking forever. But waiting is hard. It's very hard. And Simeon experienced that. It's, It's like each of us are in the waiting room of life, and the question is, what are we doing in this waiting room? Do we really believe God's going to come through? Or do we believe that God, even though as we pray, is all of a sudden going to do something and be a killjoy, that he's going to punish us in some way, or he's just going to stick it to us because of something that we perhaps did a few weeks ago? It's really, when it comes into waiting, is who you believe God is. Do you believe who he is? Do you trust him? And some of you are in that waiting room of life. And you're white-knuckling it. You're white-knuckling it as you sit in that chair, waiting on God. Waiting is hard. Second observation that I see is that God makes us wait because he's preparing to bless us. I believe that. God's preparing us for a blessing. We see in Simeon, he waits his entire life, and what a blessing. He is the next person next to the parents to hold Jesus Christ, to hold the Messiah. Remarkable. He goes down the history books. He gets the hold of Messiah, and then he prophesies this amazing thing about who he is. And what a blessing that was for Simeon to have that. And I believe God prepares us, prepares us for a blessing. That's why he makes us wait. And usually it's a better blessing or a better result than we expect. Because sometimes we pray to God and we have an idea about something, but God's ideas on what he wants to bring into our lives are typically bigger and better. And that's why he, he has us wait, because he's preparing us. And maybe this Advent season, uh, true to the, the word and the definition of the word, is that he's preparing you right now. 
He's preparing you now during this Christmas time for something that is bigger and better and beyond anything you can imagine. And that's why we wait. And the first thing that God wants to do before he answers our prayers about a job, about a mate, about a friend, about getting married, or whatever your prayer request is, is that readiness, that preparation. Because God, what he's doing in the waiting is forming our character. Because God is more concerned about our character than the answer to the prayer. Because whatever that answer to the prayer is, is material. It's something that we can't take with us in heaven, but our character comes with us to heaven. God cares about your character, and he's forming you, and he's molding you in this time of waiting. If you have a Bible, look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6-7. through 7. You can follow along with the slides as well. And your teaching notes, and I just love this passage from uh, Peter as he talks about the, the testing, and, and waiting is a test. There is a wonderful joy ahead, Peter writes. Underline that phrase. There's a wonderful joy ahead. So maybe for you, in the midst of your waiting, is to lift your eyes up, not to be pessimistic, and actually believe that there is something wonderful at the end, that God is going to do something. There is something wonderful. And even though maybe the, the cloud of depression, the, the cloud of darkness seems to be over you, and it seems like when you wake up in the morning, you expect everything to go wrong, but actually to embrace these words from Peter, that there's something wonderful for you at the end. There's a wonderful joy ahead. Even though it's necessary for, the, for you to endure many trials for a while. And by the way, trials include delays. They include waiting. These troubles... I want you to circle this part. Test your faith. They test your faith. The troubles you're going through right now, this is a test. They show your faith. To show that it's strong and pure as fire tests and purifies gold. And your faith is far more precious, and I would say character with that, to God than mere gold. Gold is, is material. It's something you can't take with you in the future. God is, your, your faith is far more precious. And maybe some of you right now are walking through a fire that you hear me preach this and you, you're like, you have no idea what I'm going through right now. Uh, you're going through an intense fire right now. And for some of you, you're going through hell right now. And my words to you are, keep going. Don't stay in hell. Keep walking. Keep moving. The only way out of it is through it. Keep walking. When you're going through a fire, you need to keep going. And, and, and Peter says, these troubles are there to test our faith. And waiting is a test. And it, while we're waiting for something in our life, and it hasn't happened, it's a delay, and you know, you're in the waiting room of life, it's testing your character, it's testing your trust, it's testing your faith, it's testing your endurance. It tests all kinds of things in your life. Waiting is a test. Looking at Paul, he comments too on this whole waiting thing. Romans chapter 8, verses 24 through 28, and this is from the message translation. You'll see on the slide behind me, I think the translation you have in your notes is not the same as I have on the slide. He compares waiting to pregnancy. Waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become. Just like a pregnant woman, the longer we wait, the larger we become. And the more joyful our expectancy Meanwhile, when we get tired in the waiting, God's Spirit is right alongside us, alongside helping us along. 
If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He, the Holy Spirit, prays in us and for us. Don't you love that? You may not know what to be praying for. You may not know how to pray. But the Holy Spirit is interceding on your behalf. He's praying for you and in you. He knows us better than we know ourselves and knows our pregnant condition. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of God and our lives of love for God is worked out into something good. I love that translation. Now, when you talk to a, a couple like Sam and Annie Randall, uh, they're expecting in January the birth of their second child, a son. And here's a picture, actually, of their preparation. You can see some clothes, a bassinet. I call it a crib, and Jared Luck, fortunately, corrected me. That's a bassinet, Craig. Oh, Okay. I didn't forgot that. Anyways, uh, but, but here it is, a little picture. And if you were to talk to Sam and Annie about their ensuing uh, delivery and you were to ask them, uh, they wouldn't say, yeah, we're waiting for January 2nd. That's the birth date. We're expecting. We're expecting. So perhaps when we talk about waiting, and what Paul's talking about here is maybe is changing the verbiage, changing the words, that we're expecting God in this time. It's not the waiting room of life, but actually the expecting room of life. That we're expecting God to do something far bigger, far better than we ever could imagine. Just like a married couple. It's not they're waiting, they're actually expecting. It's a powerful passage. So the question I would ask is, what are you expecting from God this Christmas? In this time, as you pray, and as you're looking ahead, what are you expecting from God? In doing so, you have hope. And that's our first word of this Advent season, is hope. Hope is the first Sunday of Advent. Next week is peace. The third week is joy. The last week is love, the last Sunday before Christmas. But in this Sunday, it's hope. Expectancy has hope. Waiting really doesn't as much. As as Simeon waited and waited for the birth of Messiah, he was in good company. And that's the number three in your teaching notes, is that we're in good company. We're in good company when we wait on God or when waiting on God. Hebrews 11.12 says, or 11.2 says this, people in the past became famous because of their faith. And I would, I would unpack that word faith by saying that faith means waiting. It means expecting. And these people became famous. People like Hannah, for example. Hannah, who had to wait for years to have a baby that she was praying for that God would give her. And some of you are doing that right now. You're, you're praying for your first child. And some of you have battled infertility. And that's been hard on you. But you keep praying that God will bring a child to you. And Hannah had to wait years. And then next, I'm going to skip over Joseph. Moses had to wait 40 years in the wilderness to really know his purpose in life. And that's true for some of us too. It takes a while. What, what's my mission? What's my purpose? You know, oftentimes we, we talk to our, our college students and we'll ask them what their major is. And like they have it all planned out at 19 years of age or 20 years of age. I'm going to do this, this, or this. You know, and, and uh, some of you I've talked to, you've, you change, when you were in college, you changed your major like five or six times. It takes a while to know your purpose in life. It took Moses 40 years in the wilderness to know his purpose in life. 
Next, Noah had to wait 120 years before it rained. You think you're in a waiting period. Imagine 120 years. And also, by the way, you're building this big boat in your front yard. And he's building it for 120 years. You imagine the people, the, like, like his friends, the, the, the neighbors in his cul-de-sac in the Middle East, by the way. <laughs> but I'm sure they're coming up to him like, Noah, what are you doing? Well, I'm building this ark. What's an ark? It's a big boat. For what? A flood. What's a flood? Because they hadn't had a flood before. And I'm sure his kids were embarrassed. Like, yeah, my dad, he is, he is gone off the deep end. We're trying to give him medication. We're trying to bring in some of the uh, rabbi psychiatrists to help him. But he's building this, this ark for what? There's supposed to be this flood. And it's 120 years. And he waits and he waits. And he reveals his character and his faith in God. And also Abraham. Abraham and Sarah waited 100 years for the birth of their son Isaac. And I love this passage in Hebrews 6.15. It says, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. I would say this. The waiting room leads to the blessing room. The waiting room leads to the blessing room. It does. So wherever you're at right now, just keep taking one day at a time, trusting God, believing God that he's going to do something in your life. That this Christmas, and maybe you have given up on Christmas and you've given up on these passages in the Bible that seem cliche, but I invite you, and my prayer is that God will awaken your soul to not only to wait, but to expect and to hope that he is going to do something far bigger and better than you ever imagined in your life. In 1995, uh, the famous Israeli violinist Ishak Perlman came on stage at the New York Lincoln, Lincoln Center. And Perlman was renowned, renowned violinist. And the thing about uh, Perlman, though, is that he was stricken with polio since childhood. So whenever he went on stage, and that night it was Lincoln Center, and Lincoln Center obviously is a very famous place, one of the best venues in the country to play in an orchestra. And, but for, for, for Perlman to walk across the stage was very laborious because he had braces on both his legs, and then he had two crutches. So he had to walk very slowly across the stage or anywhere he went. And that night he walked across as the orchestra was in place, and Perlman comes across the stage and he sits down, and he unclaps his, his braces, takes his braces off, puts them down, puts his crutches down, and then he puts one for, foot forward and one foot back, puts the violin under his chin, nods to the maestro, and they begin the song. And it's a beautiful song. But something went wrong. Right away in the first stanza of that song, one of the strings on Perlman's violin broke. And if you ever heard a string on a violin broke, it's loud. A uh, spectator said that night it was like a gunshot across the room. Everybody knew what happened. And the music stopped. And people were, were thinking, okay, he's either going to have to put his braces back on, get his crutches, walk across the stage and get another violin or a string or something, or, something, or somebody's going to have to bring him something to fix this. But Perlman didn't. Instead, he paused for a moment, closed his eyes, and then signaled to the maestro to begin again. And the orchestra recommenced. And he joined them where they had left off in that first stanza. He played with a passion and a power and a purity that the audience could not believe. 
It was so moving, they said. But of course, everybody knows it's impossible to play a symphonic work with just three strings and a violin. Almost impossible. But that night, this player, Perlman, refused to give in. One person said this. You could see him modulating, changing, recomposing the piece in his head. Someone else said at one point, it sounded like he was detuning the strings to get new new sounds from them that had never been made before. And when they finished the song, there was an audible silence in the room. And then all of a sudden, the audience jumped to their feet, cheering and applauding for what Perlman did. And they were just going crazy. They wanted to know him, wanted him to know how much they appreciated what he did to make that work. And later on, Perlman said this, you know, sometimes it's the artist's task to find out how much music you can still make with what you have left. And I think for the, us, this is the apropos. While we're waiting for God, for whatever it is, what kind of music will you make in your life with what you have left? What kind of music will you make with your life with what you have left? Will you refuse to let pessimism rob you of today's joy? Will you find ways to encourage others? Will you find ways to serve others, even in the midst of your waiting? Like Simeon, I want to encourage you this Christmas to keep watching, to keep waiting, and keep expecting. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you so much for this story of Simeon. A great example for us in waiting. And waiting is very, very hard for us. It goes against our human condition. And God, I I pray that in the midst of our waiting that we would have hope, that we would have expectations for what what you're going to do. And God, I pray that as a community that you would work in and through us during this Christmas as we enter in the story waiting and hoping and expecting for the coming and return of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Everybody said, amen.